0: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com.
1: Ash,
2: how stoked
1: (laughs) are you about our newest podcast sponsor? I
2: am over the moon because I am a passionate and regular drinker of heaps normal
1: heaps normal your favorite not beer
2: it is very much not a not beer it is an awesome beer doesn't have the alcohol of very extremely low percentage but i do love me a heaps i take um every opportunity i can to have one yeah we're very stoked to have heaps normal on board and they really are a beautiful beautiful beer and it is very cool and sort of hard to get your head around the fact that being a non-alcoholic beer you can have one and take the wheel <laughs> <laughs> and i enjoy doing that
1: it did look a bit strange the other week <laughs> when we were driving home from tenterfield and you're driving the van and you know smashing a heaps while still
2: driving you know it's a hot sunny day <laughs>
1: It still felt a bit naughty
2: Yeah, yeah, it does And it really does taste beautiful I really love it So yeah, we could not be more stoked to have Heaps Normal as sponsors of the show
1: The legends over there are offering our How I Quit Alcohol Community free shipping So all they have to do is go to heapsnormal.com And order up their non-alcoholic beers And put in the code in uppercase
2: H-I-Q-A
1: and that will get you free shipping on your next case of heaps of normals.
2: H-I-Q-A, as in liquid alcohol.
1: This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind. Head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr, and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Michael. Michael's a stonemason from WA. How are you Michael?
3: I'm well, thank you. How are you Danny?
1: I'm very well. Thanks so much firstly for coming on the show. I just sort of bombarded you with some messages saying come on the show. So here we are. So thank you for for just joining us. It's great. Could you share your story about alcohol, how you got started?
3: Sure. Um yeah, so uh, I'm 45 and I, I sort of, I, I feel like I had um, some sort of an affinity with booze since I was a kid. My, my dad used to um, have a drink on a Friday afternoon and he was a responsible drinker, um, but he would sit of um, an afternoon on a Friday and, and have, a, have a beer and I would come to him with a, a small Stein mug, one of the old ones, like a... a a Western Australian souvenir mug, and um, and he'd fill that up, and I'd have a, a small beer, and I just thought that was fantastic. I loved beer. I loved the smell of a a, a beer bottle cap. I don't know what it was, um, but I had an affinity with it, and um, and yeah. I, when I was fourteen, I I kind of had my first party experience, and my idea of going to a party was to get smashed, even though I hadn't done that before. Um, but my older brother was um, four and a half years older than me, and he he partied, and he was he's a real lively, um, jovial character. And and I just thought that that looked fantastic, and that's what I wanted to be doing, you know. So you know, he he got me a, a carton of beer, and um, and I went split that with three three guys and and we got drunk and and I just thought that that was amazing and you know it was a whole new world for me um and then Mm. that's what I connected to and and I introduced that into my regular pattern um I guess that's what I was chasing every weekend and my idea of going to a party was to get smashed and that was straight off the bat so yeah it was it was red line for me um and yeah it was there was no in between
1: yeah, I can so relate to that because just from my first drinking experiences was always about just getting as smashed as you possibly could, and that was what our what my peer group did. This just what I thought you did yes, you no, know? yeah, yes. this has obviously then gone on into your twenties
3: well um you know i I did that yeah until I was 21 and I stopped drinking actually I lost my license twice by the time I was 21 DUI. Wow. so yeah. yeah I was a prolific drink driver mm-hmm. I, I thought that that was yeah just part of the parcel was for me to get drunk and, and drive all my mates around to parties and I was always the first to put my hand up I think I had my license for a month before I'd lost it um and I was driving before I had my license anyway so I was I was kind of reckless or 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 wasn't you know too considerate of the confines of the law um in that regard so uh, I you know it was it was a precarious road for me because I was blackout drinking until I was 21 and I was losing my license and I didn't know when I was going to lose my license again next so that was quite scary um and and I kind of got a bit of a wake up call when I was 21. I I was so fearful of my drinking, and I was so sick of the path that I was on. The the future was looking really hazy, just in terms of not knowing what was around the corner or not being able to join the dots in in terms of developing um, the life that I wanted. So I decided to stop drinking and to just sweep it under the carpet, and I just went for a healthy lifestyle and, and went travelling and enjoyed about five or six years of relative sobriety.
1: In that five years, how did you feel about yourself and, and alcohol and was it easy to give it up, you know, in that time when you were so young?
3: It was a challenge, you know. I was, I was smoking grass every day as well and, and that's what I related to my social outlet and my connection with friends and that's how all of my friendships had developed or at least that's what I... Perceived to be the case, so I was letting go of an integral part of my life. There was certainly strong hooks of addiction or craving meddled in with my drive to to quit, and so you know I had a real fight on my hands for sure. I didn't seek out any help. I I just believed in the direction that I was going in. Just pushed on regardless. I think um, you know I worked towards finishing my apprenticeship and then and then going travelling. And I went travelling pretty much solo for um, about seven months to Indonesia and, and went as remote as I possibly could. I also went up to Burma and, and sort of travelled through there and it was like a sabbatical, if you like. It was a, 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 yeah. a journey of self-discovery and pushing myself through some sort of uncomfortable situations but into some exhilarating, rewarding situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I sort of had that to counter the challenges, you know. It was, mm.
1: Wow, that's huge for a 21-year-old to go and do something like that. Do you think you could have kept up the sobriety had you not gone off and been in the wilderness at that age?
3: I, I think so. I think so. I, I had to believe that sobriety was going to be the answer for me because I was so sick of the repetition of the pattern that, that drinking was for me, and it and it wasn't satisfying. Um, I didn't like not being able to save any money. I didn't like the blackout. I didn't like the dysfunction that came with drinking so heavily. I could see that, and and all of my efforts to pursue my passions or achieve goals were thwarted by the negative or the downsides of binge drinking each week.
1: Yeah. Wow. So what happened? So then obviously you've, you've obviously gained a lot of knowledge in that time. That's like such a, an amazing journey to go on. When was it that you took it up again?
3: Well, when I was about 26 or 27, my brother passed away in a car accident and a lot changed in my life at that time. He was a lot to me. And I guess in hindsight, I can see that what I hadn't developed was my emotional intellect. And, and when I was met with that challenge, I reverted to type and, and thought I would seek solace in my old friend, a drinking lifestyle.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it was a new realm. It was an opportunity for me. Um, death is natural. And that's, that's an ongoing thing. And, but I chose not to um, lean into that one. And I reverted back to drinking and thought I would open that treasure chest and explore that realm.
1: Yeah. Did it give you some temporary relief?
3: Well, it created a distraction. I guess there was relief on, on some levels and that's the um, nature of booze. You know, it presents itself as, you know, comfortable, it's cozy, it's fun, but it was the roller coaster ride and yeah, yeah. that 's what it was for me. you know. I was dealing with the death of my brother. I was dealing with um, some other scenarios that were new to me um, and that i didn 't want to to be honest about um, and yeah you know that 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 doesn 't go away. you know that which you resist shall persist, and you know uh, for, for the minimal amount of relief or forgetfulness that I was able to experience as a result of my drinking or my binges or my parties, when I would, would wake up and I was hungover, to be faced with those realities was 10 times harder um, because I wasn't in my full competence.
1: Yeah, and that's the hard thing. Where I mean, we have to be honest in that alcohol or whatever someone's addiction is does, does offer some temporary relief but it's when I guess when it becomes a problem and then also realizing that it doesn't actually take anything away the next day when we're piled on top of our grief, I'm piling on top of that, a hangover and and not feeling good and not having slept well and all the rest of it that comes along with it. And I guess it's trying to realize that, but in the grips of it, it's so hard to kind of, to think ahead, I guess, in that sense. I've lost my dad recently and I haven't had a drink for four years, and just one night, I was just so out of my mind with grief, and just so didn't want to feel it, that I had this really a really nagging temptation to go and get some wine, and was full on, and I knew I had, I knew I couldn't, and I knew I wouldn't really. But it was interesting yeah. how it came up, and I knew I, I just had to get in a bed and fucking cry <laughs> and sure. feel it and and go through it. Right, and I was so glad I didn't give in to that. Obviously, yeah, uh, yeah, but. I can see how it's very an attractive option for people. Yeah. Especially when you don't have the tools or feel that comfortable to sit with your stuff.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And yeah, I was, I was thinking on my way home now to come and, and sit and do this podcast with you and just how long I resorted to drinking through life and created challenges for myself, but not the normal healthy, challenges and resilience that is available to us on a day-to-day level when we are in our full essence and full capabilities and life presents situations and and we've got an opportunity to experience those and deepen our experience with life and deepen our experience with ourselves and develop um, but we do it with with our full strength and competence and then everything continues to develop and we become f- you know more complete and whole beings so much was missing through my time as a drinker you know all those opportunities um mm. when i look back at when my brother did pass away you know that was an opportunity i could have leaned into and learnt a lot from and that was what was on offer because you know that's yeah. that's the way life is and it, you know it doesn't let up there's always something around the corner
1: oh my god yes so much yes to everything you just said. Absolutely. And all these, um, these challenges that even though they suck at the time, they are our greatest teacher. If we're willing to lean into it and, and kind of look into it and say, okay, what can I learn from this experience? Even though it sucks absolute balls, you know, just being with it. And I think that is, that is the, the true definition of living life to the fullest, you know, to really experience the stuff that comes
3: up. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, The full spectrum.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um so what did the drinking look like for you after you took it back up after your brother passed?
3: Yeah, it was it was blackout drinkings, heavy nights, bonfires, parties, pubs and then you know I've been fortunate I had set about this task of building myself a house since I was a kid it, it seemed to be in my DNA. And I had that on the go at the time. And so it was kind of building house and partying, building house and partying. So I was being productive and, and, and it was quite creative drinking to, to a degree, but it was a lot of highs and lows and I was disconnecting from myself and I got my house to a certain stage. And then I did what I've learned to be the geographical and I took off to South Africa. It was my cousin's wedding over there. And I kind of just got lost in South Africa for a while (laughs) and I went to Cape Town and such a party town and um I seem to have yeah just slipped straight in with a whole bunch of surfing crew there that were all about the party the cocaine the uh living it week to week and and there I was I mean my, my old pattern was was driving hard and you know I was I was living that to the fullest but this time I was like I was a little bit more ready for it I I found my niche there and I just partied and partied and and that had its own roller coaster rides you know um but I was able to just drop out of um the system and and go there and 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 do that but you know there were blackout nights and good times you know but I I, and I found myself in a lot of fortunate situations I ended up on Richard Branson's private game reserve up in the Sabi Sands. and no yeah, Yeah, I, I was. And I was up there for about a month and a half. A friend, a chiropractor, next door neighbour in Cape Town, he got me a gig up there. And, <laughs> and it was just more party out and amongst all the wildlife, game drives off our heads and <laughs> take a day to day with all the animals. And I had a motorbike and I'd go out to the community and, I was doing some volunteer work out there and I was just drinking out the shebines out there with the all the all the natives and you know it was it was an epic journey. Um I was disconnected from myself to a larger part and you know, I my my purpose, I don't know. I it was it's what I've done. So um wow. but yeah, everything was majorly addled with booze and up there it was herb and yeah, cocaine and I took off back down to Cape Town and I met um, a beautiful woman there. She was in Cape Town doing an internship in communication design and she was from Germany and we ended up having a child together um, who is now in Berlin. Um, Mm -hmm. I've got an 11-year-old in Berlin. You know, I drank through that whole relationship bar periods of sobriety. For her, it was a fun thing for us to be partying so hard in Cape Town. But then we went to our respective countries or, you know, for her, it was a big question mark as to why my partying wasn't stopping. Mm
2: -hmm. And
3: for me, that was an element that I had totally embraced and accepted into my life as my normal and my means of moving through life. So we had, you know, conflicting values. For me, I had a conflict in addiction. And I wasn't willing to admit it.
1: That's so sad, isn't it? When you look, you can look, I mean, it's all part of the journey, but to look back and realise sometimes what it's cost you.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, life would have been different for sure. You know, she looks at my drinking and she says that it was my power and that it was my creativity and that, (sighs) you know, it was the best time of her life was, you know, that relationship and that she would do it all over again. So that's interesting for me to hear because, you know, I've made efforts to lay it out how it should have been different or better or, and, and she wouldn't have that. So And it wasn't with any intention to um, reestablish a relationship, but simply to make amends to a woman that I felt deserved more. But I have a, a beautiful relationship with my daughter and I have a very amicable relationship with her. Um and we're both in our respective countries where we belong.
1: Yeah, wow. Well. When did you get to the point where you were you've decided, okay, I need to give this away?
3: I guess there was there was many a times through fifteen year period of drinking, which is what led me to my sobriety four years ago. I knew I needed to stop drinking, or at least I knew I wanted to stop drinking. There was the experiences that I had with her in our relationship where she was questioning, Uh, the potential of me being an alcoholic and my denial of of that claim Um, because, you know, I felt, yeah, to admit that would be to lose one of my greatest friends' booze and I wasn't going to have that um, even though I knew that deep down I wanted that relationship to come to an end. And a friend of mine um, and I at that time, we made a bet with each other to stop drinking for a year. You know, we did that. We called it um, the Year of Clarity, and awesome. there was no way that I wanted to fail that year, that opportunity to experience life without booze because I knew how good it was in that five years in my twenties. So, you know, we put we put a, a an unreasonable bet on the table, and that was that if anybody failed, they would need to cut their finger off to the first knuckle. And oh, yeah, it became some sort of an analogy for. Um, for just how ridiculous it was, of what it would take just to not have to, just to not have a drink, you know, something that we knew was clearly unnecessary, but what was required for us not to have a drink, you know, I thought about making a book called Pinky Pinking Clearly, you know, the, the Year of Clarity, and um, <laughs> we we white knuckled it um, the whole way through, and there was no, it was it was kind of like look at me, I, I can stop drinking and I'm all over this. But without recognizing the importance of recovery or redeveloping or rehabilitation from mm. just all the years of arrested development. Yeah, you know, come the end of that year, you know, I hit some, some situations in business that really, really um, upset me. Yeah, I just slowly decided to start drinking again. and um,
1: Oh, after the one year off.
3: Yeah, well, oh, no. I went sort of 16 months and my friend went about 20 months. You know, that was always on the table. It was never, I'm never going to drink again because I'd always let that option remain open to me. And that's the difference between my realisation of my sobriety now is that, you know, I've got to the point where... I realised that alcohol has no place in my life and Mm -hmm. I can't drink. You know, that's that. So how are we going to live life without booze ever again?
1: Yeah, wow, it's such a powerful place to actually get to, even though people feel so scared of getting to that place. Um, My husband, Ash, and I were talking last week about this kind of exact thing that when you get to that time when you realise, no, this isn't working. I'm not friends with alcohol. It's not friends with me and I'm not friends with it and I have to get rid of it for life. Because I have a lot of people contact and say, so I've given it up for, say, a few months or a year or something, and I'm thinking I just want to go back and have a couple, and I'm really trying to express to people that it very rarely happens, that usually you go straight back where you left off and then some. Is sure. that your experience after the 16 months?
3: Oh, absolutely. It's the same old shitty, tiny spiral pattern. Um, it's a small world, and, and it's, a, it's a really simple existence. So yeah, there was there was no expansive movement on that part. Yeah, I mean, booze is a depressant, and even though I experienced um, high levels of elation and euphoria, it was a rough a rough time. Yeah. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
3: I didn't need it. I didn't need the hangovers. I didn't need the physical toll that um, it took on my body. I tell you what was quite interesting was that at that time when I started drinking again and, and and I just felt like everything wasn't kind of working out the way that I wanted it to. I guess that was because I was resistant to life itself and I wasn't accepting of my circumstances or maybe, yeah, I wasn't. A bunch of things I could have been sort of led to the, 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 the parting of my partner and I and, and she went back to Germany and there was some big shifts, and yeah, and then I met another woman and and we had a child, and that all happened very quickly, and we tried to you know we attempted to make families and make that happen and um, you know that was I guess the product of being misaligned with my authenticity or. Being disconnected to my own path and reaching and grabbing for things externally to satisfy me, rather than going deep and establishing that connection with myself and healing the parts of me that were wounded from my last relationship and pulling my life together and sorting myself out. You know, I sort of moved into um, another situation that I wasn't ready for, and and my drinking continued. There was kind of a a cognitive dissonance of sorts. You know, I found myself in situations that I wasn't relating to. I was so off course. It was 15 years of veering off my path. And, you know, mm. I still had this house to finish that I had run away from to South Africa and mm. it was tickling along, but I wasn't wasn't realizing that. And yeah, my drinking got worse and worse. And, you know, it was way more of the bender level. And every afternoon after work, like, smashing large amounts of booze without any real decorum at all. It was just large amounts of booze, large amounts of booze, lots of booze.
1: Was that every day, Michael?
3: Ah, uh, For sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. You, you know, miss a couple of days, lick my wounds. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, nothing good came of that um, because that's just the nature of chronic, excessive drinking, you know, and I had become an acute alcoholic where booze was the pragmatist in my life. And yeah, just everything was falling apart. And I think, you know, that's, I got to a point of rock bottom that was undeniable for me. You know, I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't see myself out of that one. And I, I'd taken a six meter fall out of the scaffold out the back of my house. That was a really interesting experience. And I fractured my sacrum and fractured my scaphoid and, and, I, and I hit my head. But, you know, I walked away from it the following day, although I was ambulanced and I went to hospital. One, one interesting thing that came from that was that they CT scanned my, my brain and they, they found that my cerebellum was atrophying. And uh, it was nothing to do with the um, injuries. And, but it was related that the oh. cerebellum atrophies.
0: Oh and my God.
3: when that's happening, somebody will, with that situation, will, will end up with symptoms somewhat like Parkinson's disease. So it, it affects your yes. motor skills. So, you know, I was seeing my GP at that time about, you know, I was seeking antidepressants, you know, just fix me up kind of thing. Same thing I was doing with booze, just leading to the next thing. And uh, he said to me, well, look, so who we've got here is your cerebellum is shrinking, and it's typically associated with heavy drinking. So maybe that'll be enough to scare you off the booze, but mm. it didn't. And and I would go on a bender, and then I would come off the bender, and I would be like, "Fuck, my brain's shrinking," <laughs> Jeez. and I couldn't stop it. You know, it wasn't enough. It was it, it, it's cunning, baffling, and powerful. That that is what I've learned about booze and you know, it, it would trick me each time into deciding that it was a good idea to have a drink and go on a drinking adventure, which at that point was just leading to a heavy sedation and blackout, this warm, cosy place that I like to visit by by means of imbibing. and But then I would realise that, oh, I'm actually damaging my brain. I know that I'm damaging my brain. This is this is not a theory any longer. This is reality. And um yeah, it wasn't it wasn't enough. I was almost, you know, if if it wasn't the atrophying cerebellum that was going to affect my motor skills, then I'd just fallen six meters and fractured my sacrum. And but I walked away from that and I I kept on being granted this opportunity to Rise to the occasion, and uh, you know, I was struggling with my ability to do that, but you know, I wanted that, and yeah, I, I guess everything was falling apart around me. I um, I had a, a, a Midnight Oil concert um, scheduled to go to in Ellis Springs. There was a car in Perth waiting for me, and I needed to drive from Margaret River, and I decided that it was a good idea to have a drink before the night. That I needed to get to Perth and, and obviously drank to blackout and then had a sleep. And then I woke up with a sugar rush at about 2 a.m., something like that. And then packed my bag, packed my car totally inappropriately for a trip to Hellas <laughs> Springs, <laughs> 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 filled it up and then sort of got that on. I couldn't believe my luck that I'd woken up and it was only the sugar from the booze that had done it. And so I got my car and then I, I started driving in the middle of the night to Perth and drinking all the way to Perth. And I, I don't remember driving to Perth. What I recollect was that I was in peak hour in Perth and, and, and the clutch went in my car and it was like right in the Perth city. And these guys, um, they're hired to monitor the traffic and take care of any accidents on the, on the freeway so as to keep the traffic flow going. But yeah, there I was clutched. Broken. I was somehow drunk, but just come out of blackout and coherent, and could see and function. They offered to either remove my car to the to a car park, or they could take me to where I needed to go for a fee. And so I opted for take me to where I'm going, please. That'll be great. And so they put my car in the back and and drove me out to the suburbs. And and then I I yeah ended up getting the car and going out to Alice Springs and found myself five litres of goon at some pub on the Nullarbor on the way out there and drank and drank. And my two mates in the car, they um, had to put up with me the whole way and it was all sorts of, of behaviour. And, and, and then I had all the dread, the remorse, the regret um, as a result of coming off that bender about one day out of Alice Springs and, and the guy in the car handed me um, a little um, AA book. I, I, I was in that car for a number of days from that point forward and I started reading that book and, and I related to that book. Yeah, there was a lot of situations in there that scared the hell out of me because I did relate to them, but there was hope in there. There, there, there were people in there who were, were telling my story, but they were talking of their experiences of getting sober and staying sober and, and, and rehabilitating. So I resonated with that and I had a lot of time to read that over those days. I had my last drink at a midnight oil gig in Alice Springs and, and that was on October the 2nd, 2017, I think. And, yeah, um, and then I started going to AA meetings regularly and, and got myself a sponsor and, 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 and did the 12 steps.
1: Wow. Wow. That's so powerful. How was it for you even when you've left the oils concert and you're driving back again? I mean, I'm sure that would have been pretty rough.
3: Yeah, but um, it w- there was resignation and, you know, to the fact that booze needed to be out of my life and I guess mm-hmm. there was relief in that. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, you know, got to the Australian bite on the way back and, and I just, <laughs> you know, you're really grasping at straws at that point of your sobriety. It's day one, it's day two, it's day three, it's day four and, you know, you're trying to commit to a path that, You've been on the precipice of many a time throughout my drinking journey, and and you want it to be the one. And that's always an unknown, but it's a day at a time, and an hour at a time, and a moment at a time. And, And I learned that that was the most fulfilling way to live anyway. You know, I had a lot of grandiose plans, visions, and, you know, I used to pursue them, but I wasn't able to achieve them. Um, through my drinking or at least not effectively because I kept on thwarting my efforts by drinking the blackout and repeating the cycle that was really painful and really blurry and there was a lot of picking up the pieces and then only operating at a quarter of the tank and so yeah being out at the bite I can remember myself trying to let go of all of that which I didn't want into the Southern Ocean and then breathing in my new life. And I'll never forget that. And, you know, it was a beautiful time. You know, it was rock bottom. It was, it proved to be a turning point Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that I committed to and have stayed with. And I got to the rooms of AA and 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 I started to make available to myself that which I didn't think I was worthy of, and that was support
2: mm-hmm.
3: by you know actually asking for support and mm. and submitting myself to the twelve step program which I didn't understand but I just felt like that was a guide rail one step at a time to get me to a point that I wanted to be even though I didn't understand it mm-hmm. um, because I couldn't do it for myself. And and I and I could see that in the step four there that there was an emphasis on personal development, something that I had been putting effort into engaging with for years. But you know, there is arrested development that comes with drinking, and and that's just a fact. And you know, no matter how much you step up to the plate in all sorts of wonderful avenues of the first personal development if you are drinking a lot like i was then a lot of those 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 efforts are at a loss yeah i ended up at aa and then um i did did 12 steps and sponsored a couple of people and have helped help some people to to take that path in recovery and sobriety um and now I, I, I get to an AA meeting about once a week, less than once a week. I'm still connected to that. I, I, I pay absolute homage to um, what that has given me. And I'm, I'm heavily involved in just all sorts of other healthy practices. I've almost finished my house. That's coming coming to um, fruition. Awesome. And then it will be moving into the, the next stage of what, what it produces in the form of a healthy inspirational and expansive lifestyle i've got a daughter down here in margaret river my daughter will will hopefully be coming over from germany for a year of schooling and so i'm looking forward to that at least you know i know that i'll be able to provide a really healthy experience for them
1: yeah that's so beautiful when you spoke before about that moment of surrender You know, I'm just imagining you there, like giving it out to the ocean and and receiving back. It's such a, it's so beautiful. What a beautiful image! But there has to be that moment of surrender. I really believe that, where you just go, okay, I can't fight this anymore. I have to surrender.
3: Yes, yes, absolutely. And for me, you know, I looked at the steps in um, in AA, and that was. Step four was a standout personal development. I could see something tangible within that, rather than um, empathy that I experienced in those rooms and resonation with the stories that I heard. So it took me back to step one, and that was admitting that I was powerless over alcohol, and yeah. that um, and and so that was like, oh wow, Yeah. I'm ready to actually say that.
1: Yeah, and there's such release in just realizing that, and it's like what we said earlier, that just realizing that this thing, this fuck, it's just got such a hold on me. And it doesn't serve me anymore. And I just need to let it go. So, you know, and I think that can come in whether you're daily drinking or you're a binge drinker, even if you just drink, you know, once a month, but you're drinking to blackout if it's a problem, you know, yep. real getting to that place of realization. But there's something I've I've been pondering and I've been working through this with the group that I work with at the moment. And it's like that, there's that surrender, but then you have to allow the change to happen. But sometimes people will kind of, they'll surrender or, or to, a, to a point, but then they actually don't allow the change to unfold in their life. So they're kind of resisting it all the time. I find sure. that can happen a lot. So there's something in just allowing the stuff to happen and kind of just be fluid and like water, you know, water comes up against rocks. It finds its way around the rock. It doesn't just stop there. It, it'll find another path and keep going to, you know, on its journey. I mean, people, you experience resistance all the time when you start to think to yourself, fuck, have I made the right choice? Or when you're craving it really badly. Did you have those moments of resistance?
3: Oh, it wasn't an easy path. And, and mm. that's where the greatness comes from. Um, yes, you know, it yes. was an effort. And mm. that there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of new ground to cover. I was doing things completely differently. I was doing it in a way that I hadn't been doing it for years and years and possibly ever. Yeah. Yeah, this was, this was an honest approach to showing up to life and and being as real as I could and authentic in how I met it everything that came at me
1: Yes yeah so true so true So after you've done the 12 steps I've had a lot of people in this podcast that have, have done the 12 steps Do you ever have times where you kind of get up all in your head again and you feel like picking up or do you feel that that's so far gone now?
3: Yeah it's not negotiable for me booze is not it's not an option. And my life is so full of gratitude for everything else other than booze. I guess, you know, I'd been avoiding feeling all the feels for so long. And I've learned to embrace all of my emotions and the power in my emotions and the energy that comes with those and alchemization of that energy in whichever form it comes and then driving it into sort of purposeful means. I'm so connected with life now. I just see booze as a distraction and an obstacle to what my experience is now. Mm, It's, It's become something well and truly different.
1: Yeah, well, question about the steps. I was just talking to someone the other day about this with the making the, making amends. So that's where you go back and you... I, d- I haven't done the 12 steps, so but it's where you go and you make an apology, basically, isn't it? Essentially with people that you may have harmed um, as a result of your addiction. The person I was speaking to was struggling with that, putting it off, and therefore started to get all up in their head again and perhaps thinking about picking up again. Um, have you got some advice?
3: Oh, um, well if I consider what making amends is all about, then, you know, it's, it's about empowering yourself. You know, you take your power back when you make amends and, and when you present that amends to somebody else, what they do with it is up to them. But, you know, that's fear of other people. When we start to concern ourselves with, you know, outcomes of, of making that amends and, for me, it's been really empowering, not really caring what anybody else thinks of me. Um, so long mm-hmm. as I know that I'm, I'm, I'm doing the best that I can and I'm coming from the highest place I possibly can, then, mm-hmm. you know, I'm all good um, and life is going to work out however it's going to work out. But, you know, I'm, I'm doing things differently now and, and living in the solution and not living in the problem, so I've got nothing to fear. But, yeah, early days of making amends, I would say approach it cautiously and with the guidance of somebody who's done that before because we can be guilt-ridden and remorseful in in early days of recovery unnecessarily so. We need to give ourselves a chance for everything to balance out and and to come from a place that is healthy when we're making amends rather than a reactive place of guilt. Mm. And amends offers the opportunity for everybody to heal. Mm. and and some people that we make amends to can't see any reason for making amends i've made amends to some people who've relished in the amends that i'm taking but making but that's up to each individual you know everybody's going through their own experience and so how they receive that and what they do with that is entirely up to them but you've got to be committed to not being connected to that you know that's Mm -hmm. their experience um but, you know, if we're, if we're moving around through life and worrying about feeling guilt ridden about certain things, certain behaviors in the past, which is in the past, then when we meet that and, and have that conversation, then it doesn't hang over our heads any longer. Nobody has any power over us yeah. any longer in relation to that or that which we perceive to have been a burden upon us is no longer a thing because we've processed it. Yeah. And so it's, it's nothing but freedom, nothing but freedom in the long run.
1: Wow, that's, yeah, that's, wow, it's such a great way to reframe it too because sometimes when I imagine someone going and doing amends, sort of I imagine someone with their tail between their legs like, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, but when you said it's actually a really empowering thing to do, it gives you your power back. I think that's a really awesome way of looking at it and just For seeing sure. it. Yeah, seeing it in a different way.
3: Um, yeah, there's there's an interesting cognition that takes place. You know, it's like somebody told me I learned it back at school or something. To, you know, the greatest way to learn something is to, to read it and to speak it, to hear it, to see it, these sorts of things. Um, there's a lot of different ways that it comes and hits us cerebrally um, when, when we have that conversation with somebody. But essentially when we make that admission to somebody else about our behaviour, we make a commitment to ourselves not to repeat that behaviour.
1: Yeah, right. And yeah,
3: if you look at a lot of the developmental um, Approaches, it would be to change our patterns of behavior. And we want to upgrade our patterns. We want to do things differently. And when we commit to ourselves to do things differently, we're going to have a different experience. And for me, when I was drinking, it was a repeated experience that I couldn't shake. Even though I wanted to have a different experience and I knew my potential was something other than that which I was having, you know, booze just kept me in the same cycle. But when we commit to doing things differently and we actually carry that out, then our life changes.
1: Yeah, it does. It really does. Yeah. And you can't keep, you know, uh, Wayne Dyer says, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. And I love that. Yep. You know, keep doing yep. the same stuff, you'll get the same stuff back. Totally. Hmm. Yeah, Wow.
3: And that's that's accessible for us all. All we need to do is do things differently. And it's that's mm-hmm. the discipline that comes with, you know, recognising the change, um, surrendering, but then being disciplined to do things differently.
1: Yeah, and I think that there's an element to of just, my husband will say this all the time, like get excited about the change. Don't sure. go at the change thinking, oh, oh no, oh, no, poor me. Actually, you get empowered by getting excited about those changes that are going to unfold in your life and all the things you're going to learn and experience and the tough stuff as well.
3: Absolutely. Get excited about the mystery.
1: Yes. Yeah. God, what a legend you are. Um, what's, what's your spiritual practice? You sound very spiritual. Do you have a spiritual practice each day?
3: Oh, well, I'm, I've, I've recognised that I'm not a regimented person. And to commit to a regime for me is guaranteed failure of, uh, yeah. So, but, but I've got a whole jumble of things that are fluid through my life and they come and they go at any moment according to what life presents me and how I'm feeling. But I know that so long as I dive into a bunch of things, then um, I'm, I'm going to be healthy and, and, and live vibrantly. Um, so you know, I I do meditate. I'll I'll pretty much do that in bed as soon as I wake up, and and sometimes I'll sit down and, and meditate, and it's a simple breath exercise. And I do potentially different breath exercises. I'll do Wim Hof breathing, but you know I surf, um, so that's always on the cook. I go to CrossFit a few times a week. That's been really really cool. Submitting to being um, taught how to exercise by somebody else, which is something that I'd never really done. Um, but putting myself in that position, you know, it's a spiritual exercise for me to create with my hands and construct and um, do artful things. So I've recently been getting, exposing myself to Tantra and Jungian psychology. Um, yeah. Yeah, I did a lot of deep shadow work. I committed a whole construction to exploring my shadow here on the property and that was my whole house has become a um a metaphorical expression of my personal development. And wow. Yeah. So, when I was putting up the balustrading on my balconies, that was that was me setting my boundaries and th- contemplating what that meant to me and as I as I would go through that practice, then I would also be looking at ways to implement healthy boundaries and what that meant um wow you know just yeah Mm. i I don't know
1: that's awesome yeah that's so that's so amazing what a (laughs) that's so cool the the house then tells so much of the story and as you say it's an expression of of your whole journey
0: that's amazing
1: yeah it's so amazing i love what you said too earlier about you don't have to stay regimented in one particular thing. I've got this very, like, quite a full-on process I go through each morning with journaling and breathing and meditating and walking and watching the sunrise and it's quite full-on and then I decided to do a breath course recently and it was smack bang in the middle of when I'm doing all that stuff and it really sent me into a bit of a oh shit hang on what am I gonna have to get up at like three in the morning now (laughs) instead of four and um and then I was talking to it was actually one of the people that I've coached and I was and she said to me, well, we don't have, we can change it, right? We don't have to do the same thing. So she's coaching me then. So that's so true. Yeah, we can change it. We can change it up. We don't have to stick to the one thing. Yeah. And it's better to not stick to the one thing anyway.
3: Oh, know? yeah. I've had, I've, had, I've had my 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 day overloaded with CrossFit, Ashtanga Yoga, work on the house, go surfing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know. Sure, I met my discomfort, and there was a lot of growth in that. And and as a result, I realised that some of the things needed to, you know, fall out of the equation for a while. And I can mm. revisit those, but I know they're all good things. And so long as I stay connected with a whole bunch of good stuff, and I and I and I choose not the unhealthy stuff. You know, I don't eat refined sugar. I haven't eaten refined sugar for for for, for all of those years. You know, when I had the sugar cravings when I first stopped drinking, then. Um, I would eat something sweet, but it wouldn't be of an unhealthy type. And it's mm-hmm. every step of the way we have a choice. Every moment of the day we have a choice. And and if I can choose um, the healthiest, um, highest um, possible outcome, then I'm I'm continuing to head in the right direction. And I'm not going to get it perfect, and I'm not going to have the uh, most optimum results all the time, but I'm going to have a really rich, deep experience with everything that I'm doing.
1: Yeah, wow. It's great. Yeah, you're full of wisdom. It's awesome. If you could go back in time and speak to young Michael and offer him some words of advice, what would you say to him?
3: Don't be so influenced by other people's lives and influences. Um, Listen to your own truth. You know, pursue that which lights you up and everything else will unfold and you'll have a rich rich experience as a result of listening to your own truth and acting on it
1: yeah that's really beautiful oh michael thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your amazing wisdom it's so cool to talk to you
3: we did it danny thanks yeah, very much
1: i know it took, a, <laughs> it took a few efforts to get there but we did it
3: <laughs> yeah great um,
1: yeah thank you so much for that
3: lovely to meet you i you love too. your podcast um you. I've, I've i've enjoyed yeah a whole bunch of episodes and it's helped me on my journey you know relating awesome. to other people who are on their path and all sorts of different um ways it's, it's been really really good for me thank you
1: awesome thank you well i'm sure you'll inspire heaps of people when they hear this as well many of us feel stuck and unsure of how to make positive changes in life journaling is a proven way of keeping yourself on track and creating lasting change the how i quit alcohol playbook will take you through 365 days of gratitude daily affirmation and loads of techniques to help you stay on track and head towards a clearer future head to the show notes or iquitalcohol.com.au to grab yourself a copy today